and it's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Let's go. We got lots of stuff to talk about. We have Dalvin Cook and Daniil Hunter and our off-season grading series continues as we hit offensive the offensive line and talk about the offensive tackles. So um, let's waste no time exchanging pleasantries and let's get right down to business. To do all of this, there's no one better to do it than Guile. So let's bring him in right now. My partner and co-host joins. Hey, bud. How's it going? Hey, hey, happy Tuesday. Excited to talk uh, tackles, swing tackles, all the different protection units for the uh, Minnesota Vikings. I think uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you think about the formula to win for the men in purple, uh, if you have the current guy under center, Kirk Cousins, you got to be able to protect him and excited to chat through what the Minnesota Vikings are putting out on the field this year. Yeah, I am as well. And, and the way we do this, uh, for those who missed the first two go-arounds where we did uh, quarterbacks and uh, edge rushers, we're doing offensive tackles today. We take a look at um, each team in the division, that position group, and we grade it on, on a scale and then compare the Vikings to all the other teams, see where the Vikings land as the Vikings begin their quest to win an, another division title in 2023. We, we want to see where they stand relative to all the other teams in the division at every position. So today we'll do the offensive tackles. We'll get in, into explaining the grading scale and our opinions on each player in a little bit. But first, we have a couple of newsy items to take care of, Giles. And it's uh, a situation that's been settled and then a situation that is unsettled on the Vikings roster. Let's begin with the situation that is now settled, and that is Dalvin Cook, no longer a member of the team. Frown face. Um, and double frown face in that it's because the Vikings released them and they weren't able to trade him. Mm-hmm. And you get a player of his caliber, both a historical uh, contribution to the team and his current ability to contribute to a team, and you're not able to come away with compensation for that. It's disappointing, to say the least. Um, you never like seeing good players walk out the door. You can see why the Vikings felt they maybe needed to do this. One can argue if they actually should have or not, and maybe we should talk about that a little bit. But your reaction, Giles, to the news that Delvin Cook no longer a member of the team. We knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time, and it, it finally did happen last week. Yeah, I know. I think it's unfortunate, uh, both on and off the field. I think there's a chance that he was maybe the most well-liked person in the locker room. Yep. Uh, so when you think about a leader of the team, he's definitely one of those guys. Um, he's a ring of honor guy for sure when it comes to the men in purple. Um, I actually think he has a, a potential to have a pretty tremendous upswing in 2023 because of his shoulder surgery. I think there is an opportunity for him to really bounce back in terms of performance and get back to his true form for at least another season or two. Um, So I'm really excited to see him suit up in 2023. Um, This might be completely outlandish, but do you think there's a chance that he could resign with the Minnesota Vikings? Hear me out here because at the end of the day, he was cut uh, because he had a $14 million cap hit. That's something that we could not, provide. Uh, we, we couldn't play him under that current cap number. Um, so he had to unfortunately let him go. Now, with that being said, once again, he is the, 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 the cornerstone of the, the Vikings locker room. He has a lot of friends there, both in the running back room and the greater uh, Minnesota Vikings locker room as well. And if he's not able to be signed by the Miami Dolphins, which is perceivably the place that he would go by all the national media, mm-hmm. if he couldn't go there for a variety of reasons, whether it's cap hit, if he's not going to get his true dollar amount that he's looking for, if the Vikings were to put another bid back in saying, hey, here's an opportunity, you've now hit the market, you haven't signed, are you willing to come back? Because when you look at the the running back market right now, there are so many people on the market right now. Yeah. There are so many running backs. So when you think about that, that's not a great place of negotiation for Dalvin Cook. Now, 
Don't get me wrong. I think he's probably the best of the heap when it comes to all those running backs. But I don't know. If he's not able to get his true number that he's looking for, is there a chance that he uh, turns about face and comes back? Hadn't thought about that until now. I wouldn't rule it out. And it really would be, from a negotiation standpoint, it really would take – you'd have to really swallow your pride to do that if you're Dalvin and the agent. And Mm -hmm. I I just don't know how possible that is in today's day and age. But – you know, obviously, Delvin wants to go. I, I I saw a comment that Delvin wants a big contract. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, yeah, and and I want a Ferrari. You know, like <laughs> always next year. Uh, of course you do. Of course you want a big contract. But and if any back is worthy of it, it would be. I guess it would be him. But it's just not there right now for that position. I mean, the Patriots signed James Robinson this off season, and they've already cut him. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, there's other good backs out, out there right now um, on the market. Ezekiel Elliott is out there. Mm-hmm. I believe Kareem Hunt is out there, is he not? I believe that is true as well. Um, you know, And now Delvin Cook is out there. So if you need a back, you're in good shape. Like There's a lot of good players on the street right now. And like mm-hmm. what you're alluding to, Giles, is when that's the case and you're one of those guys, you're probably not getting a big contract. Especially at this time in the season. Yeah. Yep, and you know I I know that he's been linked to Miami quite a bit, but I look at the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel, and I'm just like, you know, he he was with the 49ers for a while, and it's the Niners just had any anyone was the running back in that system with Shanahan and McDaniel. I mean, it was all sorts of guys, Raheem Mostert yeah. and Jarek McKinnon, and you know um, Elijah. Elijah Mitchell yeah it's just yeah. like it's it's like the scheme is so good they just whoever and so I I'm sure Mike McDaniel would be like well of course I'd love to have Dalvin Cook but if you're building the roster there you got to ask him like I know you would love to have him but do you do you really need him like mm-hmm. kind of feels like you can you want multiple good running backs not one bell cow and Dalvin Cook needs to be the bell cow uh, mm-hmm. so especially if it's a big contract yep Exactly. So I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to Miami. And if it's not Miami, you haven't really heard anyone for sure. You've heard speculation about Buffalo because his brother is there. I saw a report that Oakland would or uh, Vegas would rescind the franchise tag on Jacobs to sign Cook there. Obviously, mm-hmm. Cleveland would be interested, but they have Nick Chubb because Stefanski's there. So I. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, Giles, on the running back market is you've got a few who are on the franchise tag, Barkley in New York and Jacobs in Vegas. And so it's just it's just a devalued position, and people aren't going to want to pay you big bucks. And that's what Dalvin thinks he deserves because of his production and what he still has left in the tank. And if, that's, if he's going to hold out for that, I think he's going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. If he's willing to come off of his position and play for less than what he thinks, then I do think Minnesota should still be an option. We haven't seen any scorched earth or burning bridges on either side, right? Um, no. So, man, I hadn't thought of that until now. I mean, he's the third all-time leading rusher in Vikings history, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good. <laughs> and I was there with him when, you know, when I was still with the team, he was, he was on the roster. He is absolutely one of the favorites in the locker room. I mean, he's one of the guys, you know, he's in his own way. He's a leader. Everyone likes him. Uh, he's easy going, never gotten any fights and was a really good player. Mm-hmm. I think you and I always felt like 
the Vikings left something on the table with him in terms of a pass catcher. Like, mm-hmm. there's a little bit more there. So, um, it'd be cool to get him back and get him back at the price the Vikings felt was right. You know, because the after effects of this are the elevation is the elevation of Alexander Madison to RB one. I think we all like Madison, but. And I love him as my RB2, but as my RB1, I just feel differently about him. Agreed. And gone, I think, for now at least are the days where you need, you know, you need Jamal Charles or you need, you know, Terrell Davis or Adrian Peterson. I get I get it. You, you don't really need that. And so I'm not trying to get Alexander Madison to measure up to that level. Mm-hmm. But even in today's world and what you want from the running back, I just think you feel a lot better about Madison as your second guy than you do about him as your first. And if he's mm-hmm. your first guy, you're kind of wondering what else is out there. Maybe we'll draft one next year. Really need our one of our backups to you know, develop. Whereas when it's Madison as your RB2 and Cook as your RB1, you're just not even thinking about running back anymore. Like you're good yeah. there. So, in much the same way we've talked about the edge rushing room for the Vikings, which we're going to talk about it again today later, you know, a good player walks out the door, and yeah, you get contract value and cap room and all that, but you you lost a good player, and how are you going to replace that? And and so I, I you know, I think it's it's too bad that Cook and the Vikings couldn't come to an agreement and make it work. Yeah, 100%. When you think about uh, trying to prioritize on and off the field and understanding the kind of the cultural aspect that the Minnesota Vikings are trying to put forth, he's definitely one of those cornerstones. So definitely a cheer job for, for Mr. Cook. But um, I think uh, the next few weeks will be very telling in terms of how they spend their current cap uh, capital because they have $22 million in cap space as of this morning. Yeah, so I, what was the hit for Dalvin? Was it going to be around 10 I thought? Uh, you mean if he stayed? or If he stayed, yeah. Uh, 14, I believe. 14. It's a $14 okay, million so. dollar cap hit, yeah. Oh, wait, I think you're right. It was 14, and we yeah. talked, what, what if you could get it down to 10? Would you keep him? We, we were talking about that earlier in the offseason. You know, and I think that that might work. That might be about right. Um, yeah, especially if his shoulder surgery did correct some of his yards after catch issues. Yeah, and, and you know. Or contact, yeah. I think you can argue, and I, I don't. I don't want to disparage my guy, our guy Adam Thielen, uh, as he leaves the team. But I think you could look at at tape and Adam's game, and I may not choose to argue this, but one could argue that Adam is not the same player that he once was, or that he lost a step. And I think he would dispute that because he's got professional pride and he's competitive. And he probably feels he was underutilized. And if he was utilized in a better way, he would have looked better. Mm-hmm. But uh, my point is, Adam, from an age standpoint and a games played standpoint, was at a point in his career where you start to see a drop off. Delvin yeah. is not there. No. Even with the wear and tear, he I haven't seen that. Um, yeah. Just as much burst, just as much speed. I think so. And that's what's interesting about this, and we always talked about this, where we kind of foresaw Dalvin potentially being let go or being traded. And it's like, yeah, the Vikings got rid of him to save some cap space. They really believe in Alexander Madison. 
But it's like whoever got Dalvin, that would be a big deal for them. Like they're going to be super excited about that. That's your right? premier signing for the offseason. Yeah, and I still feel that way about him. Like someone's yeah. probably going to get him who needs him mm-hmm. unless he comes back to Minnesota. And yeah. it's going to be one of the bigger offseason moves that that club made. Yeah. You know, um, so oh, huge. Um, I, I don't I don't know where it's going to be. Miami's the natural speculation. I've all, I also think it's fair to speculate Denver as a landing spot mm. where you have former Vikings front office people running the roster building yep. part of the organization. And then you have Sean Payton, who's an offensive minded head coach who would love a guy like that on the roster who I think mm-hmm. could emulate the Alvin Kamara part of Sean Payton's offense really well. Mm-hmm. So I think Denver's a spot to look at. And then two others. <clears throat> no one's talked about Seattle. And I don't mm. know where they're at from a cap standpoint, if they could fit it under their cap, but they make splashy moves like that. And I feel like they're always dealing with injuries at running back. Um, so I think Seattle would be an interesting spot, and I think the Rams would be an interesting spot too. Because they the currently Rams, have seven point one million in cap space for the Seattle. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's tough to do for them. They they'd have they'd to make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rams have had a hard time at running back too lately. Giles, the last couple seasons, I feel like they've been trying to patch it together with different guys, um, Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, and you know a whole bunch of guys and. I think Sean McVay could find a way to use Delvin Cook, don't you think? Uh, I could not agree more. I think that would be a powerful combination. Unfortunately, they have even less, and they're at 1.3 million. So they, in cap space, they can't so. do it either. They can't yeah. do it either. So, so this is to Very your point, friendly. Giles. Yeah. Giles, this is to your point. I am trying to massage my football mind to find natural places where it makes sense for Delvin to go from a football standpoint. Mm-hmm. And like the top three or four of them don't, don't work for cap reasons. Nope. And this is why it's going to be hard for Dalvin to get what he wants um, out of out of the deal in terms of money. And then he's not going to want to go to a team that's not going to compete this year. No. Right? So, no. Um, it has to be the AFC East. Somewhere in there. The Bills or the Dolphins. Bills, Dolphins. Yeah. And I've heard that he doesn't necessarily want to go to the Bills because he doesn't want to overshadow his brother, which I can mm. understand. Um, also hot take. I think the bills are exiting their Super Bowl window. I really do. Yeah. I think they've missed their window. Um, but that's another conversation, but I think between those two teams, I think that's maybe where, where cook lands. If it's not the back in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, back in Minnesota, I, I guess both those teams are, are competitive and he would, he would increase their competitiveness. Um, mm-hmm. so those, those are good fits from that standpoint. Um, in fact, I think his influence on the, ability of a team to win games is probably greater in Buffalo and Miami, maybe even than it is in Minnesota. If you consider replacement value and what the team is trying to do, Mm -hmm. like Miami could really use them. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, um, they have a a lower performing offensive line than the Minnesota Vikings. But, uh, other than that, I think, yeah, the, the replacement value would be, Definitely an intriguing factor. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk uh, the the one that's not settled. That is Daniil Hunter. So, um, a lot of a lot of news and a lot of stuff happening um, in the edge rushing room for the Vikings, right? Where mm-hmm. Zadarius Smith is traded, 
Marcus Davenport was signed, and now Daniil Hunter is not going to attend the mandatory minicamp because he wants a new deal. And with the way they've handled Eric Kendricks, Adam Thielen, and now Delvin Cook, Giles, I would not put it past them to trade Daniil Hunter. I can see them doing it. And they might get a second-round pick, or they might get two-thirds, or I don't know what they would get. But the analytics-slash-value-driven side of the Vikings' brain trust probably looks at a trade of Daniil Hunter as something that makes sense from a salary cap standpoint and a draft capital standpoint. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is is Quezzy's background and then his track record so far here in Minnesota with the players I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think the question becomes, that's that's great, but don't you also need to have good players? Like, that's awesome. Yep. You got a bunch of cap space and lots of draft picks. Way to go. <laughs> Do you have anyone to rush the passer? <laughs> yeah, football I mean, is I'm not about start- a tr- amassing capital. It's a, about putting a great roster together. Yes. Who's going to carry the ball? Who's going to rush the passer? Yep. Um, and Two so, most important things in football. Yeah, I think you, you raised an interesting question, Giles, and that is, why haven't the Vikings committed to Daniil, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, a pretty uh, loud conversation in the room right now because when healthy, he is a top 10, if not a top 5 edge rusher in the NFL. He is mm-hmm. a phenomenal player, and when he's on the field, especially when his hand's in the dirt, he's a force to be reckoned with. He is an absolute freight train. Now, I've been very vocal about his usage in the 3-4 defense, so maybe that's a piece of it, but if you're... If your position is that you don't think he's a good fit in your scheme, then I'm I'm okay with having the conversation of moving off of him, but only, and this is a big only, or a big if only, uh, that you have to go get a first-round pick for him. I think anything less than that, I think you are leaving production on the table, you're leaving money on the table. If your strategy is to, to move off of Daniil, move him to, let's say, maybe the Arizona Cardinals, uh, mm-hmm. or a team that is going to be projected to have a top five or maybe a top 10 pick next year, then you could trade that num- fifth overall and whatever it will be, you know, I'm hoping it's uh, 32nd uh, in terms yeah. of picks next year. Uh, but let's say you, you, you trade whatever you get in terms of draft pick for yourself next year. You trade both of those plus a few other things and you trade up to number one to go get Caleb Williams. If that's the strategy, I can get behind that. Um, I don't love it for this year. I think that definitely puts you into a, uh, a difficult posture when it comes to winning in 2023. But if your priority is to go get a quarterback, and more importantly, the first or second quarterback on the board, a number one or number two position, I think you have to trade something like Daniil Hunter. And I think you have to do it now where he still has projected value. I, but I think you do need to get a number, a number one pick, like a, a first round pick. Because anything else than that, I think there's too high of a likelihood that you squander that pick for the amount of value that he currently provides to your team. Right. All right. So you bring up an interesting component to this, Giles, which is you mentioned Caleb Williams, who's probably going to be the first. He's a quarterback out of USC, probably going to be the first pick in the draft next year. Yeah. Played with Jordan Addison. There you go. Yes, he did. So you're bringing up a good point here. And in that, you know, when you're in Quezzy's shoes, it's always a balance of roster moves and contract negotiations and activity that leads to wins this year and helps your team win this year, which is what your owners are looking at and your fans are looking at and your current roster is looking at. So you need to 
be a good custodian of that of those people's interests and their interests are right now win now yep but as a gm and a team builder roster builder you have to look at 2024 2025 and i guarantee you he's got a board in his office and you open that board up and it's got all the players on the roster and a, a check mark or an X or a number mm-hmm. under columns that are for future years. So he's got his eye on that too. And what's the construction of the roster going to look like? And he and Rob Brzezinski and the scouts, they probably look at that every day. So the activity mm-hmm. that they execute now, they they have to be good custodians of, of those interests as well. So just because they let Adam Thielen go or Eric Kendricks go or trades at area Smith or don't commit to Daniel Hunter. We can't accuse them of not caring about this year because of all those things, but all of them in combination when there is very little done to help you win right now, all of those other moves in combination are causing some people to question like, are they really all in on this year? Mm -hmm. And the people who that should really bother are fans, but also someone like Kirk Cousins, who's your quarterback. Like he's got to be like, what's going like, on here? I I know him well enough to know that he's competitive and he's he's like it's fine, it's fine, we're good, we we got it, we got the guys, we can still we're, we're gonna win games, and he really mm-hmm. believes that. But I wonder if you could inject some truth serum into him if he'd just be like, man, what, like. Let's what are we just doing here? like let's say Daniel Hunter gets traded. Like what is happening? Mm-hmm. You know, and you got to wonder is this some sort of rebuild or competitive rebuild that's going on because like if you're Kirk Cousins or Justin Jefferson or TJ Hawkinson or Christian Darrisaw or Harrison Smith, yeah, yeah, like it's you're not playing forever, man. Yep. You know, and so one thing to get cheaper and better, but it's never a great idea just to get cheaper for the sake of getting cheaper. The so focus should always be be getting better. If you can do yep. it cheaper, let's do it. But it should right. always be focused on getting better. Now, I, yeah, and I remember you know being being at the facility when I was with the team and talking to my friends who were you know also working with the team and it, we were going through some quarterback struggles before Teddy Bridgewater and we just the Vikings couldn't find a guy after Favre and before Teddy and it's like you know it's. I won't even go through the list of names of of who the Vikings tried. And it's like, and during those times, other parts of the team were good. Like you had Percy Harvin and Adrian Peterson. And um, you had stages where you had some pretty good defenders. And I'd be like, I would trade every starter that we have on offense or defense for Andrew Luck at the time when he was really good, you know, or whoever, you know, fill-in-the-blank young quarterback who appears to be really good, Russell Wilson. Yeah. Because it's like if you have that guy, you you have a chance, and he can mm-hmm. elevate the play of everyone else around you. And if you don't have that guy, you can have an amazing roster, and you don't have a shot. Yep. Which is what the Browns had for a long time. Yeah. Uh, good rosters with no quarterback, right? Yep. Is that, yeah. Yep. Okay, 100%. so I I where you're going with – you know, getting a first round pick and package it with your current first round pick, go up and get Caleb. If that is the goal, if that if that's like what they have decided, hey, we can do this and we're gonna do it. 
then more power to them. Then they should execute that plan, go and get Caleb Williams, and all the criticism that myself or you or other people would levy against them for trading Zadarius Smith and or trading Daniil Hunter and or letting Kendricks and Thielen go is moot because Mm – the coup de gras is getting the quarterback of the future who's going to be your franchise for 15 years. And if you get that, that it, no matter what you say, it's worth it to do that. Right. And it's subsequently you that. get cheaper. So then you can go spend in free agency yes. on other positions. If you I, do have to I, let go. I mean, the Bengals and Joe Burrow, the bills and Josh Allen, like those two, uh, the chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, is there anything they wouldn't give up? To keep their their quarterback situation. Oh my god! They give up down. everything. Yep. They give the up their head one coach. Priority. They'd give up their first round draft pick for seven years. I think I would. Mm-hmm. If I yep. had Patrick Mahomes in his prime, I, I'd be like, you can tax me a first round pick every year. Yep. If I, I'll keep him. Yep. So, um, so if the Vikings have a plan in place to, to get a player who they think can be that guy, then mm-hmm. they are doing everything right. Yep. If that is not the plan, like if Kirk Cousins is in the plans for next year and the year after, I don't understand what they're doing. I completely agree. And so, I think that's why this is an intriguing conversation because I've heard so many times over the past three, four years that, oh, imagine if we had Mahomes. That'd be awesome. It'd be better than Kirk Cousins. Sure, that'd be great, but we do have Kirk Cousins, and there was never any tangible solution of what the replacement would be. Sure, I would love to go get a Ferrari. I would love to go to the moon. Those things are not realistic until we have a plan to do so. And that's where if we can realistically go get Caleb Williams, I do realistically put him in that same conversation with upside. So that's where, all right, now I'm, I'm willing to have the conversation about moving on Kirk Cousins because you actually have a succession plan. It's yeah. never a great idea to just trash him and have no plan for what's next. Like if we can go get Caleb Williams, let's do it. Um, so honestly, I think within the next week or two, I think you're going to find some really intriguing uh, progression in this conversation. Either they signed Daniel Hunter and that'll put all this conversation to bed uh, or Maybe he's traded, and I think that will solidify that maybe that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. And so if, if they re-sign him, you know, that, that'd be great for them. I mean, it's, it's good for their defense. He's a good locker room guy. Like, he's, you want Daniil Hunter on your team. Mm-hmm. If they do trade him, you, 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 said, you just said something that sparked this idea in my head. If they do trade him, Giles, mm-hmm. um. I think the writing is on the wall then that this is uh this is basically a rebuild. Mm-hmm. But it's it's like a luxurious rebuild because like <laughs> you have a left tackle in place, you have uh the best wide receiver in the NFL for my money, I'd say he's probably the best, second yep. best, whatever. So you have a left tackle, you have the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um You've got a good enough running game. You've got a really good right tackle. Like, mm-hmm. you're, it's a luxurious rebuild, right? It, it's Perfect a rebuild. scenario for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it is. So, I wouldn't totally blame him. And 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 while some people might might grind their teeth at like another good quality veteran out the door, Daniel Hunter traded. You know, the building blocks are there for a pretty good rebuild, and mm-hmm. at least the direction would be set, and there'd be no more wondering about it. Correct. Right, yeah. because even if they re-signed Daniel Hunter, you're still kind of wondering, like, Kendrick's gone, Thielen gone, Cook mm-hmm. gone, Zadarius Smith gone, Patrick Peterson gone. Like, kind of feels like a rebuild, even mm-hmm. though they re-signed Daniel Hunter. If they mm-hmm. trade Daniel Hunter, you know what they're doing. 
Correct. You know, and there there is some value in that. Also, everyone will feel this way that it's a rebuild, mm-hmm. which I know how these guys are wired. The guys who are staying, Alexander Madison, TJ Hawkinson, uh, KJ Osborne, Harrison Smith, they're going to be like, okay, like you, you guys are, are thrown in the white towel for this season. No one thinks we can win. Okay, we'll, yep. we'll show you. It's almost a slight against them. Yeah. Yes, and, and it motivates them. It gives them mm-hmm. an edge that they may not have had. Um, yep. And we talked about that with Kirk Cousins on if the Vikings drafted a quarterback with that, what would that, what would the impact be there? So it'd be mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see the team play with that mindset where it's like, mm, all right, so they're, they're trying to move on from most of us and no one's picking us to win the division and the cute Detroit lions are, you know, supposed to win the, the division. Okay. All right. Yep. We'll show you. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see in September. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very interesting domino to fall here in the Daniil Hunter situation. And I think Giles going back to the trade and the value, I think what your opinion is about what they should get back for him is what most Vikings fans will expect. And anything short of that, they will be disappointed and they will criticize the move. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to be a train wreck in 2023. Even if you take a step backwards, which I don't expect us to do, minus something catastrophic, Uh um, you're going to have to trade a considerable amount of picks in order to trade up anywhere near the top five. Um, So that's where I think you need a top draft pick at least top half of the league, if not a top 10, maybe even top five pick if you can get it, to be able to trade up to number one realistically. Um, otherwise, it's, it's just too far. You're going to have to trade six first-round picks in order to go up to get number one. And that's a pretty heavy haul to go get. So if you can take a step backwards in the edge room, which is a, a big thing to happen. I don't want to discount that. I do think it would be worth it to go get a quarterback. Yep. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. It's um, I don't expect this to happen before our next recording i think this is something that goes into june july and training camp and becomes a potential training camp holdout or not i don't think i don't think the threat of daniel not coming to to mini camp is any leverage in in a contract Um, other than like the hundred thousand it costs him but other than that yeah like the vikings are probably like well he won't get hurt so that's good like (laughs) i don't know i i just I don't want to diminish the importance of mini camps, mm-hmm. but the Vikings aren't going to be like, oh, he's not coming to mini camp. Give him a contract. Give him a contract. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not saying it's a bad tactic for Daniil. I'm not criticizing Daniil for not coming. What I'm saying is deadlines spur action, and mini camp is not a deadline. It's not yeah. something that's going to be a leverage point in these discussions. Training camp would be. You know, mm-hmm. him saying, I'm not coming to training camp without a new deal. Now that, that would be a leverage point. Yeah. Um, and then the one after that is probably, you know, week one, um, you know, getting ready for, for the Buccaneers. So yeah. um, I, don't, I don't think anything will get solved until August at the earliest. And if they do want to trade him, I would project for that to happen a little bit sooner rather than later in the idea that I'm guessing the Vikings wouldn't want him to go into training camp and publicize that that's happening because then that gives them less leverage in terms of getting solid compensation back. Agreed. But at the end of the day, he is one of the most criminally underpaid edge rushers in the (laughs) NFL, so he's a very attractive offer for a lot of teams. Yep, yep, he is. You're right. All right, so let's talk about a position group that has to deal with Daniil Hunter. Let's talk about offensive linemen, specifically offensive tackles yeah and so we've graded uh position groups 
in the NFC North. The last couple of weeks, we've done quarterbacks and we've done edge rushers. Today, we will do offensive tackles. We're going to do the left tackle for every team, the right tackle for every team, and then a player that we have identified as the team's swing tackle who can be a backup at either spot. The grading scale will be on a scale of 0 to 10 for the left tackle and right tackle and 0 to 5 for the swing tackle. We'll grade each position, each team, stack them up, and then we'll do an overall grade at the end and see where everyone lies. Um, We'll get into our overall thoughts at the end, Giles. We won't start with that uh, because I I had two sort of prevailing uh, opinions about this position group and the division when it was all said and done. So let's start with left tackle. Scale of 0 to 10. For the Vikings, you have Christian Derrissaw. First-round pick um, who has uh, flourished into a really good player. Mostly reliable from an availability standpoint. Mm -hmm. Definitely a guy you can single up. Um, Cornerstone roster player for you. Mm -hmm. Lions, Taylor Decker. Pretty similar profile background i would say um i'd say you can say those things about taylor decker uh a little bit longer in the tooth um might have a a different strength um in terms of run blocking or pass blocking than maybe derisaw although i have a feeling giles is going to dive into that a little bit so i'll leave that on the table for now green bay david bakhtari um definitely long in the tooth veteran uh, great equity, good leader, been there a long time, and a solid player. And then Chicago, mm-hmm. it's Braxton Jones. Younger player, not a household name, uh, not someone many people are familiar with. Um, you know, uh, a guy who in this exercise, you're going to have to do a little bit of projection. It can't mm-hmm. just be what he's done. So those are the four left tackles. Giles, my grades were uh, Derisaw with a nine and Decker with a nine. I gave both of them nine out of 10. Bakhtari comes in third with a seven, which um, I I probably was a little generous here with the seven, but Mm -hmm. I want to give some, I want to respect the equity there. Mm -hmm. And he's, going through a situation where he lost Devontae Adams and now he lost Aaron Rodgers and he's got to sit there and perform. So mm-hmm. I'm expecting, I will be shocked if he's their left tackle next year and if he's a 7 out of 10 at this time next year. But okay. he can run it back and he's, he's a 7 right now. And then I gave Braxton Jones a 5 out of 10. So okay. Derisaw 9, Decker 9, Bakhtari 7, Jones 5. How about you? All right. Uh, honestly, uh, we're in somewhat similar positions for some of these. Um, so I took kind of a, a, a quantitative uh, kind of spin on each of these four players. Um, I factored in their overall PFF grade, uh, yep. their run block, their pass block, uh, both, of, both of those PFF grades, blocking efficiency, and then their penalties. So those um, overall five metrics, overall grade, run block, pass block, blocking efficiency, and then overall penalties. Um, when it comes to Christian Derrissaw, um, he was the second overall graded uh, tackle in the entire, entire NFL. So this is factoring both left and right tackle. There's 87 qualified tackles that played at least 20% of snaps. Um, and he was the second best out of all of them, out of both left and right tackles. He was the third in run blocking. He is 
very quietly one of the best run blockers in the league, and no one really talks about that because of his pass protection skills. Okay. Uh, he ranked 10th in pass blocking. He was 12th in blocking efficiency, um, so in terms of you know his ability to be able to stand alone and things like that. Uh, and then he was 8th in penalties. Now, penalties are a little bit misleading because... Um, there's a lot that are tied for certain metrics. So technically he's eighth, but he's really tied for like second. Okay. Uh, so he, you know, he's pretty good in a penalty, penalty standpoint. So at the end of the day, I give him a nine out of 10. Um, if he was a little bit better in pass protection, I think he'd be a 10 out of 10. Yeah. He's still phenomenal. He's a great run, a great left tackle. I, I think there's a chance that he's maybe the best left tackle in the business this year. Uh, because at the end of the day, 2022 was his first full year. Um, when you look at the year before that, he wasn't really given much of a chance to, to step in and play right away. He didn't have a full training camp under his belt. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the day, I do expect him to take a pretty decent size step forward in 2023. Yeah. Um, so Christian Derrissaw, I give him a nine. Um, when I look at Taylor Decker, he's kind of an interesting one because I think he's a great solid left tackle. Um, but I wouldn't call him elite. I think he's a, a great above average left tackle. He was 22nd in overall PFF. He was the 34, uh, 34th ranked uh, run blocker, 24th ranked pass blocker. He was 31st in blocking efficiency. And then he had a little bit of an issue when it came to penalties, which knocked him down. He was 49th in uh, overall penalties. So I give him, at the end of the day, I give him a six, which okay. felt like a low score for Taylor Decker. I would have maybe given the eye test. I would have given maybe a seven, maybe eight on a great day. But according to analytics based on our formula, we give him a six uh, mm-hmm. because of his penalty issues. And he wasn't great uh, in the run blocking game. Okay. Nor was he great from an efficiency standpoint. Uh, and then moving on to the Packers uh, for David Bakhtiari. Um, he's one of these mainstay household names from a le- yeah. left tackle room. He is, he's a guy. People, Everyone around the country knows Bakhtiari. Um, he was the 11th ranked tackle in the overall in, in the NFL. Uh, and the area that he didn't uh, perform super well in was the run. And he was 32nd in run blocking. Oh. He was... Fifth in pass blocking. He's an amazing pass protector. He's been the blind side for Aaron Rodgers for many, many years. He's been, yep. a, he's been a guy. Um, he's another guy that deals a little bit with uh, penalties. He ranked 34th in penalties. Um, but with that, I bring him to a total score of an eight. Um, I think that feels a little bit liberal to me now that I'm looking at the, the metrics. Metrics are saying that, but I think uh, he's had an issue staying on the field. He definitely yeah. has some some injury concerns. So I think if I was giving you the Giles uh, opinionated uh, score, I'd give him yeah. maybe a seven yeah. um, with the chance that it could slide down to a six or a five, depending on play. Um, but last year he did score an eight. Um, and then that slides us all the way over to the, the Chicago Bears with Braxton Jones. Um, I, I view him as a, a slightly above average left tackle. He's nothing that'll, that'll uh, catch your eye necessarily, but he's definitely not a train wreck. He was the 20th overall graded tackle in the NFL um, out of 87 qualified tackles. He was 10th in run blocking. He was 42nd in pass protection, but at the end of the day, you do have a mobile quarterback over there. So I think that maybe is being able to be hit a little bit. Wasn't great in pass blocking efficiency and was atrocious in penalties. He was one of the worst penalty <laughs> tackles in the NFL. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, I give him a five. He's not horrible, but he's definitely not great. Um, so I have Minnesota nine. I have the Lions at a six. I have the, uh, the Packers at an eight. And then the Bears at a five. Yep. I think the, with Jones, I do believe, Giles, he was the only Bears offensive lineman to play every snap last year. That sounds correct. Yep. Um, and I think it's fair for the Bears to be like, we got our left tackle. You know, yep. and project. They're not actively to, looking to right. find someone else. Yep, yeah. to, to, to project him to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And although he's a less, less accomplished and lower caliber player than Bakhtari right now, Mm-hmm. You know, a year from now, he'll probably still be there and be the guy, whereas Bakhtari is probably out on the way out. 
you know, so in a weird way, the the Bears are in a better position at left tackle than the Packers are, even though the Packers have a superior player right now. Um, yeah. So I just thought that was the Bears and Packers are sort of juxtaposed there at left tackle right now. Um, the Packers have a really good player who's on his way out. The Bears have a player who's not as good but is ascending. Um, yeah. And so I think it's a really strong division at left tackle. Oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely. Very strong. Yeah. Um, so impressive group of left tackles there. Uh, we're mostly aligned at left tackle with uh, one variance there, and that, that being Taylor Decker. We're, um, we're a little ways apart on Decker. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we're pretty aligned. Yep. So yep. let's go to right tackle. Absolutely. <clears throat> For the Vikings, of course, it's Brian, o- uh, Brian O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Second-round pick several years ago who blossomed into everything you would want out of a right tackle, a position the Vikings have not always had a great player in in the last decade mm-hmm. or so, but they have a great one in Brian o- uh, O'Neill. Mm-hmm. The Detroit Lions uh, invested a first-round pick in Panay Sewell, uh, mm-hmm. and he's their right tackle. Um, really big, strong player, reliable, and a big reason for the Lions' uh, resurgence as a franchise and as an offensive line uh, in particular. Mm-hmm. For the Packers, Yash Nijman. Yeah. I believe, I'm wondering, or Nyman, I, I, yeah. I don't know if he goes by Josh. I want to say he does. Yeah. Uh, I think almost positive it's Josh Nyman, but Nyman. Uh, it's spelled Yash, yes. Yash. Um, so it's Yash, but he goes by Josh. Um, an interesting player um, who's got some position flexibility, I think, and... Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into talking about this, um, I think, when, especially when we get into the swing tackles. Um, but he was an interesting player to go back and look at. And then for the Bears, it's Darnell Wright, uh, recent draft pick. Yep. So I gave O'Neal a 9 out of 10. Okay. Um, I think there's a crazy stat in there where like his sacks allowed over the last three years, it, it's or total snaps, it's an unbelievable stat. Mm-hmm. Um, which you may have at your fingertips, Giles, and you can get into when you're talking about him. Um, so I gave him a nine. I okay. also gave Panay Sewell a nine. Okay. So um, once again, a tie for Minnesota and Detroit. Um, Nyman I gave a six, and Wright I also gave a six. I okay. struggled the most with Nyman okay. uh, and my grade there, um, and I, I ended up landing on a six for a few reasons. Um, just some ambiguity about his position and um, the Packers' plans uh, at offensive line in general. If you remember, this used to be Elgton Jenkins' spot, and mm-hmm. then it was Nyman, and then Bakhtari was hurt a bunch, and so they played Nyman on the left and then on the right. So I struggled the most with Nyman, but I, I tried to place him as a true right tackle. Mm-hmm. How would I grade him? Mm-hmm. So I ended up as a six, and then I gave Wright a six as well. And... I kind of glossed over right a little bit, to be honest. I didn't. There wasn't much to go off of there, um, yeah. from a history standpoint. So O'Neill nine, Sewell nine, Nyman six, Wright six. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think there's a few places that we might deviate a little bit, um, but some areas that we also uh, okay. Uh, are on the same page. Uh, but when we look at Brian O'Neill, um, ultimately he's 27 years old, so he's not old, he's not young, but he's definitely uh, a solid player. I think he's on the top 10 list for Minnesota Vikings. But at the end of the day, once again, going through all of our average um, uh, grades across those five categories, he was the eighth 
best tackle in the NFL last year across all qualified tackles, left and right. He was a top 10 tackle period. So he's a, he's a phenomenal player. Um, he really shined in the run. He was the fifth best run blocker in the NFL. He's, he is a road grader when it comes to that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, one area that I did think he did step back in 2022 was pass blocking. Uh, he was 20th. Uh, out of 87 qualified tackles, which is not bad. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't in, in his elite form that he did uh, project in the in the previous year. Um, so I'm really hoping that he can take a step back forward into a better pass protector. Um, he's not bad once again, but he wasn't elite like he usually was, where I think it knocked him down a little bit. Uh, he was 12th in pass blocking efficiency, and then he did a, have a little bit of a penalty issue, and he was 38th. Um, so with that, I gave him a score of an 8 with the upside of a 9 or a 10 if he can uh, step forward a little bit in a pass protection posture. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did give him an eight. Um, when I look at Panay Sewell, I'm a really big fan of this guy. I think yeah. uh, when he was drafted, people were projecting him as a generational talent when it came uh, to the tackle room. Um, but he did struggle in some capacities, especially in pass protection. Um, he was graded as the ninth best tackle in the NFL last year. He was the fourth best run blocker. So he's even better as a uh, run blocker than Brian O'Neill. Yeah. Um, but in pass protection, he was 36th. So he was... I mean, essentially middle of the road, um, but definitely not what you would expect out of his uh, draft posture. So I think if you can take a step forward in a pass protection unit, I think you're in a much better posture. But because of his pass protection issues, I gave him a seven with the upside of a nine if he can really get those things figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was a rookie in, in kind of a lot of senses. Um, so I have uh, Brian O'Neill as an eight and Panay Sewell as a seven. And when it comes to Josh Nyman, this is kind of a really interesting one because um, – the Packers were so topsy-turvy last year. They had so many players in so many positions. When you look at the 2022 season, um, he played six games at left tackle, and then he played the rest of the games at right tackle, right? So he was a guy that was moving all around. But if you look at his actual performance, that's where I'm like, oh, man, I, I hate to do this, but he was horrible in every category. He was the 58th-ranked tackle uh, yeah. in the NFL. He was 68th in the run and 35 or 35th in the pass. Um, he was towards the bottom of the pack in pass-blocking efficiency, uh, and then he was 73rd in penalties so there was not a great uh, posture there and that projects a three out of ten and i think if i were to give you my my initial position i'd give him at least a you know maybe a five uh, at bare minimum because i don't think he's a train wreck in any capacity but i think because they were moving him uh, all different ways yeah. he brought down to a three out of ten yeah. and in similar posture to you with Denar, uh, darnell wright for the for the bears uh came from tennessee was drafted in 2023 I projected him as an average tackle being drafted, okay? And with that, I mean, this isn't as data-driven, but I give him a 4 out of 10 with the upside of a 7 because at the end of the day, he was an average NCAA tackle. So moving into the NFL, things are a lot faster, a lot heavier. So I'm going to give him a 4 out of 10. Um, So I have the the Vikings at 8. I have the Detroit Lions at a 7, Packers at a 3, and the Bears at a 4. Yeah. Yep. Um, All that makes sense. I think... um I think the the moral of the story, I guess, here at right tackle is you're top heavy with the Vikings and Lions, and mm-hmm. you're struggling after that with the Bears and Packers. And mm-hmm. I think um, you know how we talked about the Vikings edge rushing room mm-hmm. and how great it would have been if it was Smith and Hunter, and then you had uh, Davenport as your three, right, mm-hmm. as your basically your key reserve. Like, yep. what a great room that would be. Huge. I think if the Packers had a situation where Nyman was their swing tackle, that they would be in a great spot there. A you know? great position. But when, he, you're, when you have to put him in there as your starting right tackle, now all of a sudden you're kind of your back's against the wall a little bit there. 
Agreed. Um, so I still like the Packers offensive line quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I'd like it. I'd love it if Nyman was a reserve, a swing tackle, or if they could move him back to the, you know, inside maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, top heavy, top heavy at right tackle there with O'Neal and Sewell um, in the NFC North. All right, um, swing tackles. <clears throat> this is where it got a little tough, I think. Yep. <laughs> um, not, not as great a talent to uh, to look at and evaluate um, at this spot for the NFC North. For the Vikings, it was Ole Udo. For the Lions, Matt Nelson. For the Packers, Zach Tom. And for the Bears, Alex Leatherwood. Now, I am going to guess that folks listening to us are familiar with Ole Udo. He's been on the on the roster for a few seasons now and was a draft pick back when I was still there. Um, and I think they'll know the name Alex Leatherwood because he played for Alabama and was a high draft pick for the Raiders before the Raiders moved on from him and uh, sent him to the Bears. So those are the two names people are going to know. People are not really going to know Matt Nelson or Zach Tom. Um, so it was a little bit tougher to do the research here and to do the studying here. And I actually looked at some other players as well in the swing tackle spots. I looked at mm-hmm. Kellen Deesh. I looked at Rashid Walker. And um, I looked at Jermaine Effetti for Detroit. Okay. Um, all players who could potentially be swing tackles. So this was a little bit harder to take a look at. But on a scale of 0 to 5, um, here's how it ended up for me. I gave Oli Udo a 2. Okay. I gave Zach Tom a three, Alex Leatherwood a three, and okay. Matt Nelson a two. A two, okay. All right. All right. Um, I like that. Um, I think uh, we are, are corresponding in a few different categories. I took okay. a little different spin on this. I took... Uh, at least out of the three out of the four for Ole Udo, Matt Nelson, and Alex Leatherwood. Um, all three of them have a commonality. They played under 200 snaps. So okay. I took all tackles that played 200 snaps or less, which there were 47 of them, uh, and I ranked them. And I, and I took their PFF grades from there, assuming that those were kind of those swing guys that had to step in in certain capacities to help the tackle room. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it came to Ole Udo, for everyone that played 200 snaps or less, he was actually the second best tackle in the NFL. Uh, he was sixth Jeez. in run blocking, eighth in pass blocking. He actually wow. showed up much different than people would have expected. I think yep. people look at his guard performance from Minnesota Vikings a couple of years ago and thought that he was a train wreck. And really, I would actually uh, respectfully disagree with that. I think he was actually a decent guard, but could not get a hold of his penalties. He could not actually be the, the technique or the technician required to be a guard, but he had the physicality to be an amazing offensive lineman. So... Um, all that to say, he was a tackle that went to guard, and he's he's a tackle. He wasn't a guard. Um, so when he was a- actually able to be a tackle, he performed pretty well. He was the second best backup tackle in the NFL last year. Yeah. Um, so with that, I gave him a score out of a four. Um, you know, across all those different categories. Um, when I look at Matt Nelson, uh, he was another guy that played you know less than two hundred snaps. He was the fortieth <laughs> overall graded uh, backup tackle out of forty seven. Um, he was thirty sixth in run, twenty seventh in pass. Uh, was okay from pass blocking efficiency and a penalty standpoint, but at the end of the day, I gave him a two because he was just not great in performance. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at Alex Leatherwood, kind of a similar story. Uh, he was seventeenth overall uh, across those backup tackles. He was ninth in, in run blocking, but he was over. Uh, he was like thirtieth uh, in pass blocking, twenty second in uh, efficiency and then was okay in penalties. Um, so with that, I gave him a three. Um, Zach Tom for the Packers was an interesting category because he 
actually had some starting reps uh, last year because of their their injuries. He played left guard, then left tackle, then back to left guard, then he was at left tackle, and then right tackle. He was all over the offensive line. Uh, I mean, he played, I don't know, like nine games, I think. So he played about half the games. Um, so he was kind of an interesting thing uh, when it came to being an offensive lineman. But I actually ranked him out of all the tackles, all the starting tackles. Um, so this is kind of a unique thing. But out of all the starting tackles, he was the 41st ranked uh, starting tackle out of 87. Uh, he was the 64th in run, but he was 19th in pass across all starting left tackles, or all starting tackles, rather, across right and left. Uh, he was 16th in efficiency, and he was the best at uh, penalties. He was he had the, the fewest penalties out of any other tackle in the NFL. Um, so with that, I gave him a four out of five for a swing tackle standpoint, just because um, he wasn't great in the run when it came to, to starting tackles. Um, and he was kind of moved around all over the place. So for Minnesota, I gave him a four. The Detroit Lions was a two. Packers were a four. And the Bears were a three. Okay. All right. So when all is said and done and you tally it up, um. I am Minnesota and Detroit tied for first at 20. Yep. Green Bay third at 16. Chicago last at 14. Mm-hmm. There we go. And for me, I have the Minnesota Vikings leading at 21. Uh, I have the Lions at 15, the Packers at 15, and the Bears at 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we there was areas that we definitely intersected. Um, I think we both agreed that we had pretty good left tackle rooms. The right tackle room was a little bit suspect. Um, but I think the, the part that really dinged uh, the Lions for me, who have an amazing offensive line, don't get me wrong, um, their depth is not very great. And yeah. I think uh, they have above average tackles at both left and right. They just don't have elite uh, left and right tackles. I think, you know, uh, when I think of Taylor Decker, I think there's maybe an upside to that. So maybe I'm, I'm going to get scorched on that take. Uh, but I do think the Minnesota Vikings have the better left tackle room. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting yeah. to do the whole offensive line. Um, do this exercise with the entire offensive line as opposed to singling out tackles and mm-hmm. guards and centers. So maybe yep. we'd be better served when we get to the interior to do both guards and centers together mm-hmm. um, and give us a little bit more of a complete picture of where teams stand on the interior yeah um and then and then weave in this offensive tackle conversation into that interior i don't think we can combine the grades or or grade them all but um Mm -hmm. you know because the offensive line you really want to take a look at them in totality and Mm -hmm. and um you know because they play as you know it's it's five individual players but it's they're really one team they move as one so um yep. i think if we could go back and do this again we probably would do the whole offensive line together but it is nice to be able to drill down and get very specific and detailed about um you know individual positions and and doing it this way allowed us to do that um i i came away like like we mentioned left tackle wise i don't know we're not going to do this for every division but i don't know that you'd find many divisions with a higher total grade than the NFC North. Oh I mean, my goodness. No, you know, I had uh, two nines, a seven and a five. You had a nine and an eight, a six and a five. So, yep. um, very good at a very important spot. Mm-hmm. Um, another important spot though is swing tackle. And I came away very unimpressed with this group, um, at the swing tackle position. Okay. And, um, I think you made a good case um, for Matt Nelson, mm-hmm. um, and um, so the, no, that's noted. But other than him, and and I and I hear you on Ole Udo to some extent. I think over a long period of time, though, Udo would get exposed if he had to play a lot. 
I think Agreed. he would run into trouble. He's and a game-by-game game guy. Yeah, if you had to play yeah. him for five straight games, I think you're going to run into trouble. You'd be hurt. Yep, but yeah. he can get you out of a game or a game and a half, right? Yeah. Yes. So, yep. um, so those were kind of some of my takeaways. And, you know, the last thing is if the Vikings, if you felt a little bit better about Ole Udo, mm-hmm. and they might have a guy on the roster who can become that guy, but how good is is the Vikings situation at tackle? Oh my goodness, this is fantastic. Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. And you know how we talked about with the quarterback situation. If you had Mahomes in his prime, Josh Allen in his prime, Joe Burrow in his prime, you'd do anything to keep that, right? Yep. This situation the Vikings have at offensive tackle, I mean, you won't do anything to keep that, but almost anything. Yeah, like That's one of the other most important aspects of the team. If you can do it, let's do it. I would give up a lot in a lot of other areas to keep that those bookends together, Derisaw and O'Neal. And I think Derisaw's in line for a new deal here any minute, isn't he? Oh, my gosh. And I think they're actually in a position to maybe get that done sooner rather than later because the longer you wait, the more you're going to have to pay because exactly. I truly project that he hasn't even entered his prime yet, and the tackle market is only going to get larger. So if you can pay him sooner rather than later, I think that'll help out everybody involved yeah. because – I think we, uh, I think Christian Derrissaw might be the best left tackle in the business. Trent Williams might be a better one. I know Rashawn Slater from the Chargers is another big one. But I think uh, when it comes to your production and your age, Christian Derrissaw is number one in my opinion. Uh, Brian O'Neill is a top ten. I really think we have the best tackle unit in the NFL. Yep. Yeah, I think we do too. And you look at the offense, and it's like two really good tackles: Justin Jefferson, um, Kirk Cousins, in the moment at least. Mm-hmm. and that's really sort of who they are, mm-hmm. right? And if they have an average defense, um, the, this is a really, really good team. Mm-hmm. And, and anything above average that the defense can be is just gravy for what I think an offense that's probably going to be high 20s in points per game. Oh, my goodness. If not you know? into 30s, yep. if you can get a few of your new wide receiver additions. To yeah, and so – brings me back to the Daniel Hunter situation where I'm like, you know, maybe Quezzy is like, you know what, we, we got to kind of get by on defense here. Um, if we're going to extend Darisaw, if we're going to extend Jefferson, if we're going to figure out the quarterback situation, if we're going to keep O'Neal um, at right tackle, like we got to give up in some other areas. We got to give in in some other areas. So that may be where the Daniel Hunters, the Darius Smith, Patrick Peterson, Eric Kendricks situations went. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah. Um, all right. That's uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Wobcast. Is your notebook empty, Giles, or is there anything it's, else we need to get to? It's clear this is one of my favorite conversations in all of football. I love the offensive line. Yeah, I know you do. So let's stick with the offensive line. Then next week, let's go to the interior and go uh, team by team in the NFC North and take a look at some interior offensive linemen. I think that'll be uh, our best chance to get a complete picture of offensive lines in the NFC North because we'll be fresh off the offensive tackle discussion. Then we can add in the interior offensive line. So next week, when you all are back here listening to the Wobcast, we'll catch up on news and notes and talk about the 2023 season coming up for the Vikings, but we'll take a particular interest with guards and centers in the NFC North. That sound good to you guys? Let's do it. All righty. Uh, for past episodes and to like and subscribe to 
current episodes of the Wobcast 2.0. You can do that wherever you uh, do that with all your other favorite podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, we're on YouTube. So go and find us in all those places. Engage with us. Let us know what you want to hear about. Join the conversation as we continue talking Minnesota Vikings football. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Until then, though, we're going to say farewell and Skull Vikings. So on behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Skull.